Four threes. The lower hold of the wormwood erupts in cheers as Patch Salt smugly looks around the circle of liars, dice players. Ambrose peers under his cup, his greasy skin stretching over his face with nerves. Call me a liar, fish guts! Patch Salt is on her feet in her enthusiasm, a gesture more comical than intimidating, as the little gnome was still only at Ambrose's eye level as he sits on the hold's floor. Ambrose leers at Patch Salt and takes a long draw from his cigarette, conjuring a hush over the crowd. Smoke slithers from his mouth as he flashes a toothy grin. Five fours, and I'm the liar. The hold erupts again with noise as attention shifts over to Ambrose's left, where Kipper taps the cup that hides his dice with a chuckle. If you're a liar, croup, call me a dirty fibber. Seven fours. The crowd of swabs stamps their feet to Kipper's dare. To his left, Henry sits with his arms crossed, frowning at his cup. As Henry stares boldly at the floor, rude jeers spit from the crowd. Patch Salt shouts across the circle, Oi, Plug! We're sinking over here! Henry Plug stares for another second, then glances up at the other players with a scowl. Seven fives, he says, almost too softly to hear over the taunting crowd. The crowd boos, smelling their first lie. Get him, Owlbear! Someone shouts. Plug's lying, heart's horn! To Plug's left, Owlbear chuckles at the crowd's outburst. With arms outstretched, he bellows. Should I call him? The crowd roars in incomprehensible affirmative. An owlbear plucks Plug's cup off the hold's floor, revealing five dice, all showing ones and threes. Owlbear slams the cup on Plug's head and gives him a friendly, if admonishing, poke in the ear. Plug squirms in discomfort and scowls even harder at Owlbear, who shouts under the din of the hold, You're a liar, Plug! We're in the crew quarters of the Wormwood, but with a crew from some time ago. Most faces are unfamiliar to you, but those you do recognize, you knew only as officers. Though at this time, they're merely only swabs and riggers. Croup's dirty apron, though, shows that even back then, he was the ship's cook. As the stamps and shouts of the Wormwood crew wind down, Albert picks himself off the floor with a grunt. I need to go give the captain his report. The crew boos and protests. Now, I told you all that was my last game. See you all bright and early up top. The crew groans. Aye, aye. The sickening sound of cracking, splintering wood sounds from above the hold as the entire crew quarter shakes from a great impact. Everyone is silent, looking at their first mate. Albert nearly fell over from the tremors. He straightens up in a flash and starts running for the stairs. Everyone topside, now! Albert leads the parade of swabs and riggers to the main deck. Besides several lit lanterns, all is dark on the fever sea. Albert arrives just in time to see a small black object sail over the main deck, visible only as it soars over the lanterns. It overshoots the ship and lands in the ocean with an explosive splash. Albear looks around wildly, trying in vain to see through the darkness. A pirate lands on the main deck, having just climbed down from the mainmast. Conrad, what's the situation? <laughs> We're being attacked by another ship. <laughs> no shit! I'll thank Besmera for such a perceptive lookout. Casey, put out the lanterns. Plug, throw something overboard that floats and light it on fire. Maybe we can throw them off. At this point, the door to the captain's quarters is thrown open. Albert makes his way to Barnabas Harrigan while continuing to shout out orders. Conrad, get back up the crow's nest. I want to know who it is. Patch salt, ready the ballistae. What's this situation, Owlbear? Another cannonball explodes in the ocean, a dozen feet from the Wormwood's hull. We're being attacked by another ship, Captain. No shit. I'll tank Besmera for sending me such a perceptive first mate. What are your orders, Captain? As Alibert asks for orders, the camera begins zooming out, and we're given a bird's-eye view of the scene. 
Though the battle takes place on a dark, moonless night, we're given enhanced clarity and can see that the Wormwood is being accosted, not by one, but three ships, all bearing the flag of Chelyax. One is a large warship, and the other two are smaller, quicker sloops. The chase is on, and throughout the night, the Wormwood takes evasive action. The crew eventually deducts that they're being pursued by more than one ship, and take the Wormwood through more dangerous waters, attempting to clog the enemy's path with shallow reefs, dangerous side currents, and banks of fog. Say what you will about Barnabas Harrigan, but his nautical skills and knowledge of the fever sea are something to be respected. Despite all his best efforts, though, Harrigan can't seem to shake the enemy ships. As the first sliver of dawn glows on the horizon, a bright flash of lightning streaks over the sea and collides with the mainmast on the wormwood. With a fan of sparks and a sickening crack, the wooden beam splits and the top half collapses overboard, dragging half the ship's sails with it, and the wormwood's speed slows to a crawl. Harrigan stumbles up, having narrowly avoided being crushed by the fallen beam. Fixed at mast, Owlbear! Owlbear throws his arms up in exasperation, his silhouette barely visible in front of the pre-dawn light. I can't fix that! And even if I could, there's no time! We need to prepare to be boarded! Harrigan marches straight up to Owlbear and grabs him by the shirt. They have a deadly spell sling on one of those ships. Far better than you, I'd wager. If you don't want to be shark food, you better take care of him. Albert shakes his head, eyes wide. Captain, I told you, my, my magic is better for support. It wouldn't... But Harrigan throws Albert to the deck, eyes bulging with manic desperation. Don't talk back to me! Just do it! He peers around and realizes that the entire Wormwood crew is watching, waiting for orders. Those chalish bastards got the upper hand with that lightning strike. But we're gonna show them the true power of the Wormwood, if they're foolish enough to board us. Now get ready for the fight of your lives! The captain's call to arms is met with a mighty battle cry, as the crew scrambles across the deck, readying for an assault. Only seconds later, though, they're thrown from their feet as the Wormwood gives an almighty heave, the sound of splintering wood resounding through the air as a chelish ship slams into the starboard side. The crew climbs to their feet, growling death threats and brandishing their weapons. Owlbear begins casting a spell from the back line. Don't move, Captain! I'll hit you with an enlargening spell! With everyone's attention on the grappling ship, though, no one notices the enemy spellcaster. With everyone's attention to the starboard, the wizard slowly rises up from the dark water on the port side, water dripping down his robes as he floats through the air. The wizard spots his target, the enemy caster, and hits Owlbear with a feeble mind spell. Owlbear loses his spell mid-cast, as his mental faculties plummet. He can still recognize friend and foe, but his intelligence, his sense of self disappears. He forgets his skills as a sailor. He loses his sense of humor. Even the memory of his son, the lovable scamp who had come to be known as the Mast Helmet, is wiped from his mind. The chalish sailors line up on their ship's port side, shouting their own battle cries. Owlbear, where's that spell? The chalish sailors charge. The enemy wizard casts another spell. The last thing you see before the scene ends is the futility of the Wormwood's defenses trapped in the masterful pincer maneuver between the chalish swashbucklers and the unseen wizard. As soon as the scene ends, a new one begins as a pail of water is splashed over Barnabas Harrigan's head, awakening him from whatever trauma he had endured. He's tied to a chair inside his cabin. A woman stands before him, flanked by the chalish wizard and a cleric of Asmodeus. The woman, clearly a well-decorated naval officer, has jet black hair, a pale complexion, and dark, sinister eyes leveled at Harrigan. You all recognize her as Dravalia Thrun, the woman you met in the enchanted clock in Harrigan's Fort. You have two options, pirate. 
We kill you and your crew in a fashion most brutal. No! Dravelia smiles slyly. Or, you give us information we deem worthy, in which case, you will be given a quick death and your crew set free. No! Please! Kill them and spare me! Harrigan begins shaking from head to foot, confidence and presence replaced by fear and panic. Dravelia's smile wanes, and her eyes narrow again. She turns on a sigh and begins walking toward the door. You disgust me. Just kill him. No! Don't! I'll do anything! Dravelia stops walking. She remains facing the door for a few moments before turning her head to the side. Anything? Yes! I'll do anything! I'll give you anything! Just don't kill me! Dravelia turns on the spot and marches right up to Harrigan until their faces are nose to nose. Mr. Harrigan, I want the shackles. If you want to live, you'll help me take it. Silence fills the cabin as Harrigan still stares at Trevelia, mouth agape, as the Chelish Admiral stares back, quite serious. What do you need me to do? We're given a slow fade this time, and when we fade back in, we're below decks in the Wormwood crew quarters. It's been some time since the Chelish ships took the Wormwood, as evidenced by the afternoon sunlight pouring through the portholes. Two swabs are going through their things, probably getting ready for the day. Henry Plug is one of them. The other pirate turns to Plug. It's been a week now. Owlbear still acting stupid, huh? Plug grunts an affirmative, though you can see a poorly concealed grin on his usually sour face. Boy, when we pull into Olo, I'm gonna bury myself in a dozen oars, just you wait. A loud set of heavy, slow footsteps interrupts the two pirates. They wait in the crew quarters for a few moments as the footsteps grow louder, until Barnabas Harrigan emerges at the bottom of the stairs. Their captain is gripping a bloody sword, and similarly red stains cover his ripped shirt. He sets a murderous gaze upon the two swabs. Plug isn't aware of the bargain Harrigan struck with Dravalia Thrun, but the rest is obvious. For his own reasons, Harrigan doesn't want tales of his capture to spread. Plug turns to the other pirate, draws his cutlass, and skewers his fellow swab through the neck. As the pirate gurgles up blood, Plug grabs him by the jacket and throws him to the floor at Harrigan's feet. Harrigan looks down at the dead pirate, then slowly returns his gaze to Plug. Plug drops his cutlass. Hell of a storm, eh, Captain? And a sea serpent to boot. Took nearly the whole crew. Luck be we still had enough men to limp back to port. Too bad no one will believe us, though, huh? After a tense moment, Harrigan gives Plug a slow, expressionless nod. He sheaths his sword, turns around, and slowly walks back upstairs. We're left alone with Plug in the crew quarters, and Plug releases his held breath as he picks his cutlass back up and begins cleaning it. We jump forward in time again, and we see the Wormwood docked in a city port in a deep natural harbor. You recognize the limestone towers of Hell Harbor as the camera zooms in on the main deck of the Wormwood. Many new recruits from Olo, and likely elsewhere along the way, scurry about on deck, finishing their final jobs before the shore leave. As swabs and riggers begin filing down the gangplank, you hear the crack of a whip, and the camera eventually pans over enough for you to see Plug, cat of nine tails in hand, and a long dirty chain in another, directing Owlbear below decks. He sends another sizzling crack over Owlbear's head, who cowers pathetically at the whip. Did you think you were getting shore leave? Get down those stairs, guard dog! Ah! Owlbear yells wordlessly in protest, but continues backing toward the stairs at Plug's direction. From here, the camera shoots up and zooms over Hell Harbor, and we get a great bird's-eye view of the Chelish-style architecture, complete with an imp or two perched on Eve here and there. Soon, the camera slows and dips below the cityscape, and we're brought to a small, modest house with a garden of strange-looking plants. A simple sign on the front lawn reads, Long Farthing, as the camera phases through the walls, 
we can hear the familiar voice of Peppery. Thrun! Peppery is standing in her small kitchen in front of Barnabas Harrigan, who appears comically too large for the space. You let yourself get captured by a Thrun, Harrigan? Harrigan doesn't reply, but stands in silence, waiting patiently for Peppery to finish her tirade. And, and, and you're here to deliver them the shackles? How? By Baba Yaga's breast milk. Do you plan to do that? Harrigan opens his mouth to respond, but Peppery continues. No, don't answer that. I don't want to know. Why should I help you do it? Harrigan's patient demeanor seems to have worn off with her final remark, and he answers with a sneer. Keep your voice down, girl. They offered me a position of power and de shackles after it was done. I can forward a similar boon to you. There's a long silence. Peppery seems deep in thought. If you can help me lift their curse, I'll give you my ship. A grin escapes Peppery's decidedly grim expression, seemingly in spite of her. She finally looks back at Harrigan. All right, Barnabas, I accept. I'll sail under you as the Wormwood Sailmaster, and help you in your suicidal plot if I can't find a way to reverse the curse through and placed on you. Peppery holds out her hand, and Barnabas takes it in a shake. She holds the shake firm, and before he can release his grip, she adds, Oh, and I want to eat clams for dinner every day for a month. The handshake is released as Harrigan chuckles. Then our next stop be Tempest K. Another cut and jump in time, and we can see the Wormwood drifting in calm waters southeast of Tempest K though dark storm clouds loomed far to the north. Several longboats have been launched as the crew dives for clams. Peppery stands on the ship's railing, watching the crew labor, nodding her head in approval. Suddenly, a swab shouts out from one of the longboats, Hey, Captain! I think I found something! He's holding something small in his hand, high over his head. Peppery looks around for Barnabas, but the captain is nowhere to be seen. She waves him up, and several minutes later, the swab is rowed back to the ship and climbed up the main deck. He holds out his hand, which holds a clamshell. After a moment of hesitation, Peppery takes it and opens it. Inside is a strange-looking gemstone with blue-black whorls. She focuses her sight on the stone, but doesn't pick up a magical aura. Still intrigued, she smiles at the sailor. Good find. Go take a break. The sailor happily salutes the back of her head as she spins around and walks back to the captain's cabin. Inside, Barnabas stands by, watching as Peppery tinkers with the stone. She exposes it to different temperatures, elements, and pressures, but finds nothing remarkable about it. So what is it? Peppery shrugs while staring at the stone in defeat. <sighs> Looks like it's a pretty rock. Maybe we can convince someone in port that it's magic or something. Peppery picks the stone back up and makes to leave the cabin, but Barnabas stops her, holding out his hand. Peppery raises an eyebrow, but hands over the stone with a grin. Barnabas watches her leave, and when the cabin door is shut, he turns his head back to the stone in his hand. No, there's something else here. Time skips ahead several times in succession and we can see Barnabas trying to figure out the stone's secrets, night after night. It becomes an obsession, and he starts canceling officer meetings so he can be left alone with it. Then one night, we can see the stone sitting on a small table in Barnabas's cabin, while the captain paces around, staring at it. He stops suddenly, hands gripping the edges of the table, leaning over the stone. His eyes narrow in concentration, and the camera cuts to the main deck, and we can see the wormwood clock, which begins to faintly glow. Cut back to the cabin and Barnabas releases a breath with a look of apprehension. Please, what are you hiding? And a voice answers. Power. Barnabas whirls around, eyes bulging. Who said that? I. Almost not daring to believe it, Barnabas peers at the stone out of the corner of his eye. With a shaky hand, he reaches out and picks the stone up. He cradles it in both hands, holding it up at eye level. What kind of power? 
Power to sink ships. Power to move seas. Power to command the beasts who yet dwell within. I have been cursed by a wicked, chalish woman. Javelia Troon. Could this power destroy her? Yes. Give it to me. I am your master. Give me the power of the ocean. <laughs> I have no master. And you, Barnabas Harrigan, are not worthy of the boons I have yet to give. You will remain cursed. Trevelia Thrun will remain your master. Barnabas slams the stone back onto the table and stands doubled over, quivering with rage, his knuckles turning white as they squeeze the wooden boards of the tabletop. Then he lets out a roar of anger as he throws the table across the room with all his might. As his rage builds, he rips a nearby bookshelf free of the wall, slamming it to the floor. <sighs> Not wordy. After all I've done! The camera cuts again, and we can see the wormwood clock begin to glow again, even as Barnabas continues speaking. I already have power of my own. Not wordy? I'll show you how wordy I am! In the distance, behind the clock, the sky begins to light up with bolts of electricity. Gale force winds explode onto the deck, and a klaxon of thunder brings a surge of rain crashing onto the ship. The Wormwood's bell sounds, followed by shouts for the crew to get above decks. In no time, a deadly storm is formed, rocking the Wormwood to extreme angles. You can see the masked helmet climbing up to the crow's nest for lookout duty, while Manny, Scram, and Devoth work on the floor. While Scram looks suspiciously up to the sky, detecting magic, Manny turns around and notices Captain Harrigan standing just outside his cabin door, watching the crew with a look of hatred. Manny quickly turns back and redoubles his efforts, while the camera slowly zooms in on Barnabas's face. As it zooms, the roar of the storm and the shouts of the crew grow louder and louder, Finally, when we're so close to Barnabas's face, we can see the blood vessels behind his eyes. You can hear someone shout, Gnome overboard! Everything cuts to blackness. It's dead quiet. A report from the shackles. Captain Harrigan is dead. His fleet is sunk. You can see Dravalia Thrun brushing her black hair in her cabin. An officer of some sort stands in the room, having just entered. She opens her eyes and looks at the officer through the reflection in the mirror on the wall. Is the mission... Are we still proceeding? Dravelia grins. He's done his part. Harrigan's death is of no consequence now. How is my armada? The cabin shakes and shudders slightly as she speaks. Dravelia doesn't seem bothered, but the officer pauses nervously at the disturbance. Um... We're still on schedule. The Western Fleet lost three warships late last night. We're still unsure, but preliminary reports suggest they were attacked by something. That brings our losses up to eight ships. The cabin shudders again, and the officer stops speaking with a grimace. Gervalia stands up. Garion has protected our ships thus far. She turns around and strides up to the officer. Tell the Commodores that sea monsters will not protect them from me if they can't do their jobs. The officer salutes as the cabin shudders again. You are excused. The camera backs out of the cabin, following the officer. Before the door closes behind him, you can see Gervalia grinning with confidence. Outside, the officer hurries off to relay his admiral's orders, and the camera begins pulling up. We have a bird's-eye view of the ship's deck as it glows smaller with our elevation. Then, as we rise above the crow's nest, there's a strange, momentary blur as we pass some sort of magical barrier, and on the other side, it's sensory overload 
with the level of sound and light. After a moment of confusion, you see an unreserved downpour of rain and near-constant blinding flashes of lightning. You can hear nothing but the overwhelming din of wind so fast and forceful it would rip through a ship's sails like paper in fire. As we continue to climb in altitude, we're again given enhanced clarity and can see through the darkness and storm. Even as we watch, bolts of lightning slice down at the huge warship like so many javelins at a flimsy tent. Before they strike though, they hit the protective barrier, leaving the ship unharmed. We continue to climb, and more ships come into view, all likewise protected from the mythically proportioned storm, all sailing to a southerly heading. Higher and higher we climb, bringing more and more ships into view. The number of ships is almost as staggering as the storm itself. Higher and higher, and each ship is but a tiny dot, barely visible, even with our enhanced clarity against the Black Sea. Finally, we climb above the storm, and yet we keep climbing higher and higher until you can see a large archipelago to the south of the storm, the Shackles. The storm is the ever-present eye of Abendago, and the Armada's heading points directly toward the island nation. We've climbed so high that the thunder and wind of the storm has faded to silence. You hear Dravelia's voice. It's almost time. The scene ends. Large, sinister letters form the title screen. Book 6. From Hell's Heart. Son of a fucking bitch! Welcome back to Tuesday Gaming. We are Swiss Army Scorpion. So we just leveled up to 13. Somebody else talk for a while. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, I'll go first because I feel like pissing off the GM here. I can't wait. <laughs> so I would like to preempt this with Matt and Nick both sent me a message between... Uh, between now and last session, apologizing in advance for the feats that they took. <laughs> Go ahead. It's really Matt. all Matt's doing. He just <laughs> needed to drag someone with him. I don't doubt for a second that it was all Matt's doing. <laughs> no offense, Nick. All right. So at first glance, I really didn't think Scald got a whole lot at level 13. Like, I got access to fifth level spells, which that alone is really good but but, spells don't define your character right and honest well (laughs) and (laughs) and i i I thought that was like all i got so i got uh mislead which the mistress of revelations used against us which turns you invisible and sends an illusory copy of yourself off to do things Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and i also picked up greater bladed dash oh which allows you to move. It's like Bladed Dash where you move in a 30-foot line, but you can attack every enemy along the way that's within your reach. Oh, my God. (laughs) That's not even what I'm most excited about here. Uh, Let's see. At 13th level, I can now start my rage as a swift action, which opens up all sorts of fun doors. Oh, fuck. (laughs) And to top it all off, the feat that I took is called Discordant Voice. And what this does is... For anyone that is within 30 feet of Devoth while he maintains his, or while his inspired rage is in effect, allies within 30 feet of me deal an extra 1d6 points of sonic damage with successful attacks. What? <laughs> so, on top of the elemental damage, everyone also gets to add another d6 of sonic damage to every attack while you're within 30 feet of me. Jesus Christ. Okay. <laughs> I mean,. That's that's really good, but it's not. Uh, I, I I was bracing for worse. Yeah, I think I just the idea of 
Ivan slashing a claw and dealing acid, electricity, fire, cold, and sonic damage on every Captain claw. Captain Planet! <laughs> it really is. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that was Devoth. Okay. Who wants to go I'll next? Go, I'll go next. Yeah, let's just um, rip the band-aid off quick. Yeah, exactly. So, I also didn't think Shifter got a whole lot this level. Basically, the only ability type thing I got was my claw damage went up another damage category. It's now 1d10 for a claw. And then I had no idea what feat I was going to take until Matt showed me a feat called um, Mutated Shape. And basically, when you wild shape, you're allowed to grow an extra appendage. So essentially, I'm going to have another claw Dick. that grows out of me. That's interesting. Yep. So I'm trying to figure out do I want it for cin- cinematic purposes to grow directly out of my chest or like I open my tiger mouth and then a tiger <laughs> claw comes out of the mouth. Have it grow out of your butt. <laughs> yeah, I mean. You shit out of claw. I will say too, Nick, you also, you get to make this choice every time you wild shape. So oh, it, does, okay. it doesn't have to be a new claw every time. You could grow horns and get a gore attack. Or yep. you could get a stinger Another on the end of your attack. tail and get a sting attack. Interesting. So I, I... Okay, that's good to know. Yeah, and that means now, thanks to Matt, I literally can put every elemental damage plus Sonic on all my attacks, which could potentially be a third claw. That's stupid. <laughs> that's stupid. I don't like it. <clears throat> so you're adding an extra... What forty six to every single attack just from energy damages? <laughs> Pretty much. Uh, yeah, thanks to the combination of my shifter ability and the rage and the gloves, which I never intended for this to happen. Like I didn't build Ivan and was like, you know, it'd be cool a character that just like could deal every energy under the rainbow. Rainbow and claws, yeah, happened. Yeah, yeah, they're literally just prismatic claws, right? Kitty missiles and rainbow claws. That's all you need. That, that sounds so much <laughs> less deadly than it actually is. <laughs> exactly. It lulls you into that sense of like, oh, it's just a kitty missile. All right. Uh, who wants to go next? Scram will go next. And to start it off, uh, Scram finally received seventh level spells. Oh uh, he has limited wish. And uh, with the help of Alex Arcane Cannon... Uh, <laughs> I forgot all about <laughs> which. Oh my god! Essentially allows me to buy like a five thousand little uh, uh, ornament piece. No, it doesn't allow. You have to buy a five thousand gold ornament piece buy in it. order to cast it. Uh, I have to buy one, and I carry it everywhere I go. And whenever I want, I can uh, pretty much make a. You can just hang cannon. it and like turn it into a full size cannon. Yep. So that's but always fun. the cannon itself is not an ordinary cannon. It loads and fires of its own accord without requiring any actions on anyone's part. It loads one round, fires one round. I believe the damage is 1d10 plus your intelligence mod or something like that. And it's got the conductive property, which I don't think helps you at all. Like if you had um, like a sorcerer's... uh, like a lot of sorcerers have like a bloodline power where like you can like touch somebody for 1d6 electricity damage. You can just tack that on to the uh the cannon ammunition, but I don't think Scram has anything like that. 
But otherwise, while it's active, it would function in all ways like a siege engine, including having the ability for Scram to bond with it and apply wizard spells to the ammunition uh, as his siege mage archetype allows. As talking about the siege mage archetype uh, for 13th level, I no longer need line of sight to a uh, siege engine uh, to connect with it. So that's a little bit fun. Uh, As for the feet, I took maximize as a meta uh, as a meta magic feat. So maximize increases the spell's level by three. So if Scram wanted to maximize a fireball, you'd have to prepare it as a six level spell. But then when he casts it, he just treats every die rolled as if it was maximized. Yeah. So that fireball is going to deal sixty damage to everybody without him doing anything. Potentially. Yeah. With, Bar- barring reflex saves yeah, and spell yeah, yeah, resistance, yeah. but yeah, that's uh, I. I like that spell a lot. All right. Uh, who wants to go next? I'll go. Mine's quick. Okay. I got two spells. Uh, Wall of Stone. You know, that's cool. I yep. can make stone. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what's really interesting is Hero's Feast. Nice. I love <laughs> that <laughs> spell. Oh, yeah. I, uh, I bring forth a great feast, including a magnificent table, chairs, service, food, and drink. Oh, my the God. The feast takes one hour to consume. We'll see about uh, that. You all have to actually eat for the whole hour. Oh. And then afterwards, uh, everybody who eats is cured of all sicknesses, nausea, neutralized poison, remove disease. You gain 1d8 temporary hit points plus one per two caster levels for a max of 10. Uh, and it gives you a plus one morale bonus on attack rolls and will saves and a plus four morale bonus on saving throws against poison and fear for 12 hours. Yeah, that's a fucking awesome what? spell. That's especially amazing. And yeah, especially that's easily Ivan's favorite thing he searched so far. <laughs> I, I mostly took it for the flavor. Yeah, I bet you did. I do want to point out, it said that it takes an hour to complete it. Fucking challenge accepted. <laughs> We're going to speed run Heroes Feast. Yeah, that's that spell is amazing when you've got downtime and, or or like, you know, you, you, you have... boys. Or like when you know when you see an encounter coming ahead of time, and boy howdy, is you know do you have that in spades with skull and shackles? Well, also the <laughs> fact that it's a twelve-hour duration. Just make breakfast every morning, and we're good till nighttime. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yeah, that's a really good point. Yep, I, uh, <laughs> we're gonna have some killer breakfast from the uh, from the Mascador now. Oh, and uh, hit point check. I'm getting pretty thick at ninety-nine. Ooh. Ooh. Oh my Ooh. god, the two spellcasters are <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. Speaking of thick boys, <laughs> the thickest. Who wants to go last? Oh, yeah, so my HP, by the way, is at 118 now, so uh, bow, bow down unto my girth. Oh, that's Hercules, like... Hercules, Hercules, Hercules. Four C's. Now, for spells, Axel, I have a question. Yeah. I like the spells that you recommended, but I see this one spell called Unwilling Shield. Yeah. Can I cast that on a baddie? Yeah, that's the whole point. It's basically the shield other spell, but it doesn't need to be a willing ally. So but... you've got two baddies, right? Mm-hmm. Me and two baddies and me. Mm-hmm. One's attacking me, so I go, ah, Unwilling Shield on baddie B. And then mm-hmm. baddie A starts blasting on me, and I take half damage, and the other baddie takes that damage? Yeah. Alright, so I'm taking <laughs> that sick. for goddamn now, sure. Just keep in mind, baddie B needs to make a, gets to make a will save to negate that. 
Yeah, sure. He can make a will save, but that thing is awesome. Okay. And I want it. I just didn't recommend, like, 5th level Inquisitor spells, like, 80% of them are, like, offensive spells. So yeah. it was tricky. Oh, yeah. It was tricky finding spells that would work with Cheryl, whose save DCs aren't, like, the best. Like, he does better yeah. with, like, utility and buff spells. Right. Um, yeah. But, yeah, no, if you want to take that spell, go for it. And spell number two, Righteous Might. Nice. Yes, I, I was going to suggest that. One size category, baby. <laughs> Yeah, it's enlarged person plus buffs. And it only takes a standard action to cast. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We get an absolutely huge. And, 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 for my new feat, I'm taking improved critical uh, sacred book. Nice. Where my book threatens a crit on a natural 19 and 20. So, I I mean, I don't usually roll 19s and 20s, but when (laughs) I do, you better watch Um, out. That's a key book. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, could he? Doesn't he have the ability to put Keen on his book? And would those stack? They do not stack, and he might have the ability. It's a very finite list of magical properties he can put on his Keen book. Keen is an option, but I can't. Keen only go on slashing or piercing Edge. weapons. Yeah, I that's believe right. that's. I believe that's the case. Keen can I mean, only go on. Technically, his, his book does have. It is piercing, spikes. yeah. <laughs> um, but you know what? Like with that feat, that's just. He still yeah. gets that benefit without needing to spend the enchantment on it. Oh, I did forget to mention the feat I took. I took another revelation, because stacking up on revelations is surprisingly fun. I took life sense. Oh, cool. So, yeah, I just have blind sight for 30 feet with all living things now. I just know when there's living things near me. Oh my huh, god, I didn't know cool. it was that good. Jesus Christ. Yeah. <laughs> I'm invisible and can feel you. So, <laughs> so in so in the uh, in the scenario where you had that uh, that witch man sprinkling the dust of disappearance on himself, life sense would have totally been able to see him. I'll also be able to find Devoth and everybody when yeah. they're invisible and hurt. It's like I, I I can't believe I forgot to mention it on my go through. <laughs> Andrew solved all of our major issues with his level. How to feed us, how to find <laughs> us, like, we're unstoppable now. <laughs> I know the path through victory is through all your tummies. It really so. is. Yeah. I'm, 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 I'm on to this. <laughs> Team player. All right, awesome. All right, so let's uh, let's get right to it. Uh, so you guys had just killed Barnabas Harrigan, and you found some pretty incriminating stuff in his room. Got some rolled up porn mags in there uh mm. very embarrassing dibs um what kind of porn mine it's <laughs> <laughs> not what i asked just, it's shoving it's, into my robes it's just pictures of leon in compromising <laughs> positions that's why he actually oh, wanted harrigan dead i meant dibs i wanted but i was surprised to learn it is me <laughs> that's my centerfold work <laughs> Man, um, all right, so meanwhile, you've got like a whole uh, fleet of ships uh, that had been battering at the fort's walls, and uh, after Devoth uh, kind of like waved Harrigan's body over the battlements like a flag, they knew that the day was won. Any remaining uh, defenders surrendered at that point, and the group was free to loot the place, and I missed some stuff. Uh, last week so let's go over that really quick i already sent matt the i thought i had accounted for all of the surrendered pirates who i assume you would say hand over your magic shit oh yeah uh so 
You've got all that. Then you've got the uh, room E5, the room that all the fighting happened. You've got goods stored in the crates. The goods stored in the crates in this room are worth 12 points of plunder. Ooh, baby. Um, now that we're going to have time to sell it, but... And then uh, you've got the treasury, which is the room directly to the west of that room, which is locked, but luckily you have the key to it. Ha Most of the chests in this room are empty, uh, used to fund Harrigan's armada, but enough coins, jewelry, and the like remain for a total haul of 6,500 gold. All right, so real quick, I totaled up all of the loot that we have gotten just from Harrigan's fort, and the total value so is... Much. Wait, wait, can we take guesses? Sure. Oh, yeah. Oh, uh, shit. Uh, I'm going to say 386,000. I'm going to say 250,000. One gold piece, Bob. <laughs> nice, nice. <laughs> I'm going to go with 400,000. Oh, oh, you Tom, dick. <laughs> Tom's got it. Oh, let's go. <laughs> the total is. Fucking price is right in my ass. The total is 402,548 oh, gold. Wow, he didn't even go wow. over. Wow. Rain man. Dude, nice is. job, Tom. But this is going to total out to 40,000. 255 gold each. Wow. We finally got money and we don't have time to spend it. Well, actually, we got to make some stops, right? So hold on. Let me add that to my... Well, I mean, we are, we're going to Port Peril. Like, yeah. from here, that's kind of our next immediate destination. So I imagine we'll just unload all this stuff when we get there. So while you guys are, like, going over this, uh, other members of your fleet have begun entering the fortress and they're like rallying the uh the surrendered defenders and like putting them all like in this in the scrag pen for now lack of a better spot they're kind of helping you guys go around and like gathering up all the the stuff that you guys have collected at one point while you guys are taking stock of everything uh sandara is going to approach devoth and she says uh that was a that was a um, a mighty good siege, Devoth. Uh, I wish I could have been there to see Harrigan's face when you when you gave him the killing blow. Oh, I think his body's still dead on the beach. His uh, his face should still be the same. It might <laughs> even be a nice coral statue by now. She kind of like looks over her shoulder for a second. She looks kind of like awkward, and she's like, "So, some of the other crews, some of the other captains and and commodores were uh, were wondering, Devoth, uh, what share of." Uh, of booty we could expect for for our troubles with this uh with the siege and where is she approaching me like where are we it uh, like she's she didn't like pull you aside or anything but like there's just people like milling about like nobody else is like listening in i guess well, we can no, just, i'm just like wondering like whereabouts are we like, uh let's just say for simplicity that you're in e5 okay where, where all the loot is okay like devoth kind of looks around at all of like the the junk in this room. And he can even see that there's a lot here. And he goes, well, this room looks like a pretty good share for you. All right. So Sandara looks around at the room and she says, well, we'll have to count all this out. Uh, not like we can just look at a pile of, of plunder and know exactly how many points it is or anything, but you might, you might be onto something there, Devoth. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll divvy that out and see how it works. But I got a good feeling about this. Right, that seems about right. So at this point, Jack Scrimshaw comes shuffling up to Devoth. He says, um, Captain. Yes, Jax? Uh, I think there's something that you need to see. I hate that tone. All right, where is it? 
he uh he brings you out to the battlements and uh down the stairs and you find yourself in a room uh you kind of skipped over a narrow walkway encircles a wide stone lined pit just deep enough to trap a human mounted to the pit walls hang half a dozen pairs of iron manacles all spattered with dried blood Around the edge, metal racks hold a bizarre array of vicious-looking torture implements, including barbed whips, bone chisels, metal-piercing spurs, flasks with strange-colored liquids, and coal-filled braziers. And resting in the coffin-shaped cage in the pit is Cutthroat Croc, without her arms, legs, ears, or nose. Holy fuck. Uh, if, you, if you got closer, you would observe with gut-wrenching horror that all of these injuries have been done with expert and surgical precision. So realizing that it's Grok in this cage at the bottom here, Devoth immediately like orders that you know she get pulled up and out so he can actually, like I guess, examine her. Okay. That can be done fine. Uh, she doesn't have a... She doesn't have a lot of options for movement, but she doesn't seem she's she's breathing. She is alive. Oh my god, no way. I Does she have her eyes? Yes. Oh god. And they're open. Yeah. As you guys are like hefting her out of this hole, she's clearly conscious, but her level of awareness is questionable. You're not sure what you're dealing with right now. Uh she is obviously whatever peppery has gone through. Uh, Grok has been through worse, clearly, and Peppery was not doing okay. So what does Devoth do? Uh, Devoth is going to order everyone else out of the room. You don't need to tell me twice. I'm out. Scram kind of like, he he's ready to back out, but like, he goes, Devoth, if you're going to do this. Get out! Jesus Christ. I have a plan. If you want me out, then tell me to Get leave. Get out. <laughs> Fine. I, I leave. Get out. <laughs> Fucking Beauty and the Beast style. <laughs> Get you don't out! Leave, just say so. <laughs> I already told it you, was one, It was one more chance. Uh, he's gonna... Try one more time. <laughs> I'm sensing some mixed signals here, Devon. Sure. <laughs> and one vital strike later. <laughs> uh, but no, uh, once everyone leaves, Devoth is going to just kind of like kneel down next to Grok and... Like he's going to just kind of like prop her up a little bit so that she can look like look me in the eyes. Mm-hmm. And at, like, is there any like recognition there or anything? You're looking her in the eyes, and like her eyes are kind of they're unfocused. Like they're they they match up with yours every so often, but just like in like on their way to like the next like corner of her vision. She, like her eyes are just kind of like like drifting like left right like she's not she probably doesn't even you know know where she is right now just while that's going on devoth is i mean there's no one in the room but he is obviously very troubled and uncharacteristically indecisive about what to do here Mm -hmm. and just after a minute of, of watch of just like staring at her and waiting for any sort of recognition that just doesn't come devoth is going to pull out his dagger and and I'm going to say, Gok, I don't know 
if you can hear me or if you even know what's going on. Yeah, I, I almost wish Cheryl was here because he's better at, at this prayer stuff, but I wish you the best of luck in the next life because you deserve much better than what you got here. And Devoth is going to jab the, the dagger into her heart. Ooh. Oh, no. Yeah. Devoth plunges his dagger into uh, Grok's heart and Matt take a hero point. Ooh. So, like, Devoth has, like, a moment. Like, when it's just him in the room, and Grok is dead, and the door flies open again, and it's Croup. And he's, like, looking around the room wildly, and he's like, where is she? You don't want to see this, Croup. And I'm, like, trying to, like, get in his way. He runs over to you. He's like, I need to see her. No, you don't. Don't don't do this to yourself, Croup. He forces his way past you unless you, like, try to, if, if you, like, force him back. And he just kneels down next to her and... He just he just has himself a cry, and uh, he 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 rests his hand on Devoth's shoulder. Yeah, he doesn't really have anything to say. He just stares down at Grok, his old quartermaster friend, and uh, I guess we can just fade out of that scene. Any anybody else doing anything uh, role play wise, productive wise? Scrim has a a, a few actually uh, specifically with Peppery, but he actually wants Devoth to tag along with him. Okay, I'm sure Devoth is in the mood to tag so, along for an adventure. All right, well, Scram, <laughs> are you uh, gonna fix Peppery in front of Devoth for him to realize? Oops, I was a little premature. <laughs> no, I mean Devoth is of the opinion like Devoth knows what we're capable of now, especially seeing what Leon's been able to do, but. Having been a slave in chains for a while and just seeing how Peppery reacted and knowing that obviously Grok went through worse, he just like, he didn't want to even put her through the pain of recovering from that. It just, it just didn't seem worth it to him. Okay. Well, Scram, what do you, what do you do? I don't know how much time passes before Devoth leaves that room. This is going to be like kind of a full day after. The next day we're sailing away. Right. Okay, and I I plan on that being a thing. I assume that you're taking Grok's body. I was going to probably just like bury her, or give like we did with Mass Helmet, give her like that that flaming the burial at sea. Uh, I I have a plan uh, or an option for you if you want, wanted to hear it before you did such things. Uh, I'm not going to push you until like you know you're ready to hear it, but I'm sure this burial would probably not happen until the next day anyway. When yeah, everybody was. Setting sail. So unless anybody has any pressing stuff they want their characters doing today, we can fast forward to tomorrow. Yeah. Then it's tomorrow. Devoth, I want you to come into the room with me and Peppery. I I want you to hear a couple of options. Options for what? If you just want to hear me out, you can hear me out. If not, you don't have to be part of this. Options for what? What, what am I being a part of? A potential for Grok to recover without any pain. You don't go through that without gaining some pain. I don't care what spells you've got up your sleeve. That pain stays with you. You go do what you've got to do, but I'm done with it. Very well. Graham has uh, kind of like a couple of options for Peppery. uh, And (laughs) the communication is uh, going to be Morse code. Uh, I assume that she has ranks in sailing. She 
does. I think it had to be 10 ranks in sailing to just know it by default. You can ask her yes or no questions. and Sure. So, Peppery, are you... Do you know I'm in here? She nods her head. So, I have a couple of options for you that if we go through with one, it's going to have to be quick. Uh, so, option one uh, is we get to port and I find some... Uh, some high-ranking uh, person is able to make you whole again. Uh, it might take me a second, but I, I might even have to leave you at port. Uh, but I'd pay to have that person do that. Um, option two is going to be reincarnation. Uh, this one's more immediate. Uh, you'd have to die and I'd reincarnate you. I don't know what you'd come back with, uh, come back as, uh, uh, but I can bring you back. No pain, at least not physically. Uh, kind of understanding that emotional is way different. Option four is we do prosthetics, uh, prosthetics until I can uh, focus on you more, which might not be for a little while. So game mechanics, the spell Papery would need is called Regenerate, which yes. does exactly what it sounds like, and she would it, it regrows any lost limbs and body parts. With Reincarnate, Scram's newly learned lesser wish spell can replicate the effects of any spell of fifth, sixth level and lower. And Reincarnate, I believe, is a... Fifth level spell, or it might even be fourth level. I think it's a fourth level druid spell. I think um, so too. Yeah. So, yeah, basically, Papri would have to die, and then Scram would cast Lesser Wish, recreating the effects of a reincarnate spell, and Peppery would be would have herself restored to life in a fully formed body of a completely random race. So Peppery doesn't really respond to your options. I tell her real quick, like, Peppery, if you want death, let me know, and I, I I, can end it right now. No reincarnation, nothing. You move on to your next life. I, I, want, I want to give you a fighting chance here, and I don't know what happened to you on that island, but I, I could really use you as a friend, as a person. So, uh, you have a... You have Two days to figure that out. Uh, once we hit port, I need an answer. She nods. Uh, it's pretty hard to read any expression she might be feeling. But, uh, yeah, uh, it's probably pretty obvious that she needs time to think about those options. Right. Okay. Uh, so what is anybody else doing besides just getting ready to sail to Port Peril? Uh, yeah, Devoth is pretty much just overseeing getting all of the stuff loaded into the ships. I've been trying to decide if I want to see if anyone wants this fort on this little fly speck of an island or if I should just burn it down behind us. <laughs> I mean, we can give it as like as like part of the loot that we give to the other commodores or other captains. You know what? I will I'll give this island to Knuckles cuz he's been with us for a long time. He's been with us, I mean, a long time in 
our purposes, but actually not all that long from hmm. a game world time perspective. Yeah. But he's been loyal. He's done his he's done his thing and hasn't caused trouble and he's been productive, so as a reward he can have this island. Knuckles is extremely uh thankful. He says Yeah, that. until he realizes he's gotta clean a fucking dragon out of the basement. It's always in the details, isn't it? <laughs> That's a fair point, actually. I forgot about the dragon yesterday. At one point or another, not too long after Barnabas Harrigan was killed, anybody who was looking out at the at the the harbor, uh, probably while some of the ships were loading up their longboats to row ashore, you would have seen the infernal dragon break the surface of the water, probably coming out of that uh, underwater sea cave and just flying away. Yeah, no longer a dragon in the basement. You should still do a radon test, though. <laughs> all right so yeah knuckles gets the he he graciously accepts ownership of gannet island so now you guys have sharkspain island you've got tidewater rock and you've got gannet island so we've got the shackles surrounded it pretty much uh <laughs> yeah almost like like three separate corners of the shackles you guys have uh, an establishment now all we need is Port Peril, and we will complete our encirclement. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, with that, I imagine you guys set sail for Port Peril. Uh, time is of the essence. Uh, as you know, that invading force uh, is set to arrive uh, just south of the Eye of Abendago yeah. in seven days' time. That's something Devoth would have done, too. Like Before we even set sail, Devoth would have sent the mechanical parrot to Tessa Fairwind letting her know that Devoth was calling an emergency meeting of the Pirate Council. Okay, cool. So she could get that underway while we're en route to Port Barrel. All right. All right, so two days pass, and uh, you guys uh, arrive at Port Barrel. So I guess this is when Scram would have his conversation with Peppery. Uh, yeah. Port's in sight, getting ready to dock. Uh, Scram kind of wants to wait until, like, the last possible second, uh, and he goes in... Uh, peppery it's it's time she turns her head to uh where you're standing and her her face is pretty contorted along along the way like she would have been like like had episodes where like she was just clearly in a lot of pain right um and she turns to you and she as best she can with no tongue says her it her it it hurts. She nods her head. She she holds up two hand stumps, two ar- like two arm stumps, and she says, uh, "Quick, uh, uh, quick." She nods her head. Peppery, I don't know what you would come back as, but I'll I'll do my best to focus as best as I can. And uh, with that, Scram is going to hand uh hands like right at the uh right at the head is gonna lightning bolt oh jesus christ okay (laughs) she willingly fails her save yeah and uh uh, she falls over dead scram immediately starts uh the ritual and does 1500 and uh gold pieces uh, so the way wish spell yeah so the way the lesser wish works is just casting the spell costs 1500 gold worth of uh, diamond dust or something like that yeah 
And if the spell it's replicating has an expensive material component, as long as that material component doesn't cost more than a thousand gold pieces, you don't need to include that as well. <laughs> Reincarnate requires oils worth 1,000 gold pieces. So that is literally as expensive as it gets without Scram needing to spend more money. So Reincarnate is normally a 10-minute cast time, but I believe you just go off of the cast time of Lesser Wish, which is a standard action. So Scram casts Lesser Wish, allowing him to cast Reincarnate on Peppery. And there's this loud, like, groaning and creaking sound as the wooden timbers inside this room start to, like, shake and twist. And pieces of them actually, like, snap off. And, like, pieces of the floor and the walls just, like, coalesce uh, into this form. Uh, and they eventually create a humanoid shape out of themselves. And that shape, like, glows really bright. Is this where I roll the D100 to see what comes out? Do you want to roll it or do you want me to roll it? I'll roll it. 30. All right. So the wooden timbers uh, form together create a humanoid shape glow bright white and then uh the light dims and a goblin oh no <laughs> lays on the floor where the timbers once were and peppery's old body is still lying there as a corpse so matt looks didn't confused go so well yeah cuz i'm looking at the Could have been better. table and i'm wondering what table you used oh shit i read it wrong it's a gnome <laughs> oh my god <laughs> <laughs> uh, I like that better than a goblin. Uh, I don't. I liked goblin. Peppery would have made a good yeah, like goblin. <laughs> so it's a gnome, which is fine. Uh, so the gnome, uh, the gnome's eyes open, and uh, she sits up. Like you're not even in the room right now. Like she's just like, like holding up her hands, like flexing her fingers. Going like la 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 ma ma, and just she like stands up and she's just using her body and like stretching it out and like twisting it and her eyes fall on you and she's like looking up at you. Pepper used to be like a little taller than you, but now she is much shorter than you. Uh, she's looking up at you. She says, uh, "Scram," and she like gives you like a huge hug. And she's just like oh hugging you around the waist. <laughs> that could have gone either way. I was like, oh. <laughs> Scram kind of like jaw dropped. Like, it worked. It worked. <laughs> like, that I was. Didn't, I didn't think that was going to do it. Literally, like, I learned to wish and I never used it. And of course, the first spell I'm using it on is like uh, reincarnation. So <laughs> it was. It's definitely like a moment for Scram. Like, holy and, shit. And he didn't even test it on anyone first. He just. Killed his friend. <laughs> Classic. That's the way. Assuming it would pay off. That's the way to do it. Tom, take a hero point. Oh my god. Nice. Nice, Tom. Can't wait for my uh, hero point. I wonder who I'm gonna kill to get one. <laughs> um, and as a reminder, uh, everybody gains one hero point at the beginning of each book. Oh yeah, I forgot about that. Oh. So there you go. No killing needed. <laughs> well, I've got so many hero <laughs> points now. Just Let's sure. not be hasty. She goes, hold on, I want to try something. And she just, like, spreads her arms out, like, palms spread wide, and the cabin just, like, is enveloped in fog. And you can't <laughs> see anything. She's like, oh, Scram, I didn't lose my magic. 
I think there's uh, still a couple things that we need to work on, but you look fantastic. She puts her hands on her hips. What kind of things to work on? Yeah, you might notice that a couple spells might be gone from your inventory. Uh, she she holds a finger up and, sh- and shakes her head. She's like, Scram, I don't care. I can see, I can talk, I can touch things. I'm alive. You think the last song I wanted sung was in that shitty prison, betrayed by my friend, not being able to see or communicate with anybody, just rotting away, being tortured? I don't have that level of appreciation. I haven't been through what you went through. Well, I hope you never do. You didn't find Grok, did you? Rock's dead. We buried her out in sea. Oh, well, at least she's not suffering anymore. And she turns and leaves. Uh, I I guess I follow. <laughs> like, R- random unknown gnome is now wandering around on my ship. I kind of, I kind of, <laughs> yeah, I kind of look around real quick. Like your body's like there, like <laughs> kind of devolved. Yeah, good luck explaining that. Yeah, I guess anybody who's just out on the main deck would suddenly see a gnome that they don't remember bringing on board who just looks super happy. Like, she's just, like, she exits the room and, like, just a bank of fog (laughs) follows her for some reason. Um, We gotta stow away! And she hits the main deck and, like, the wind hits her face and, like, her hair is ruffled uh, in, in the wind and she just closes her eyes, like, in bliss and she just... And then she goes and finds Devoth. I follow because I feel like I need to be there. <laughs> um, Devoth, you're approached by Scram following a uh, unfamiliar gnome. She she holds out a hand as if you're like about to speak and she's like interrupting you. And she's like, I know, I know. It's me, Peppery. Devoth hears that, kind of like blinks a couple of times and then just looks at, Scr- at Scram. Explain. Uh... This was one of the options, Devoth reincarnation. Yeah. Well, I guess it's good to see you up and about. She looks at Scram, kind of nods, saying that's about how I remember it, (laughs) and uh, turns to Devoth and says, well, I don't know what you guys are in the middle of, but I just wanted to thank you for having a part in releasing me from that place. She motions to her new body and uh, my new lease on life. Ah, well, uh, truth be told, I had nothing to do with that. You were, you happened to be there and you can thank the kid for bringing you back. Now I'm in the middle of apparently trying to stop some big ass Navy from like taking over the shackles. Thanks to your fucking captain. She, she kind of furrows her brow at you when you say that she like mouths the word captain and then like. She goes, Barnabas Harrigan. He betrayed the shackles. And like it's as if it's like coming back to her. Scram would probably know that the process of reincarnate, like you you don't get your full memory back sure. all at once. Um Yeah, she's like she he betrayed the shackles. Devoth, we need to we need to go to to, to Port Peril right now. And Devoth kinda like motions off the port bow, like Ah, we're here. <laughs> <laughs> Good work. <laughs> Okay, I'm I'm sorry. It looks like you have it un- under control. Um, well, I'm still kind of getting used to this. I guess just let me know if you need anything. Do you, Do you need me to get off when we get to port? Or 
I'm not really sure what to do with myself right now. Scram kind of gives like pleading eyes, like, please get her the fuck out of there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, Duas basically just in like, I've got more important things going on right now. Like, you can stay here and figure out what you're doing. I don't know how long my other faculties are going to keep me occupied, but at least until then, you can you can hang around and figure things out. Okay. Now remember, so, Tom, she's crew. She's not an officer. She can't be in the officer's cabin with you every night. <laughs> <laughs> no, she could come over to Autumn with me. Oh, that's true. Tom's oh, got his own. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Tom's got his, <laughs> I got my own ship. Tom's got his own place. Baby, you can come, come to my dad's my house. <laughs> come to my dad's <laughs> house. <laughs> <laughs> He's never home. <laughs> my dad's second home. He, he went out to here. get cigarettes. <laughs> never came back. All right, so you guys pull into Port Peril. Uh, you sail past the lighthouse Besmeres Beacon. Would you like sail right to Lucier Hold with the Mascador? You know that it would probably be more tactful to dock at like Merchants Marina or uh, Crescent Harbor and then take a long boat over or like a shuttle boat? Yeah, I mean, for the moment, we're still abiding by the trappings of society. Mm-hmm. So I would... Park the ship at uh, well, the Merchants Marina is like the main city docks. Yeah, yeah. I dock the ship there and instruct people to start selling stuff off, like okay. all, the, all the loot that we got from the hold. While Devoth and presumably the officers head over to Lucier Hold. Okay. Uh, just um, looking around the harbor when we get there, are there how many other like pirate council recognizable pirate council ships are there there? You saw the ships of Aranax and Demian, Tessa Fairwind, but you were expecting to see her, Jolus Raffles, who is the uh, halfling lord of Bag Island, Yep. Avamar Sorinash, Hardluck Macy, the Master of Gales, Ooh. and Wide Olga. All right. So that's a pretty good smattering of pirate council members. Yeah. Um, they are... Nobody Hanju? Oh, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> They're spread out. Like you probably, like you would have seen, like maybe two of them up at uh, Crescent Harbor, like when you first sailed into uh, the lagoon, and then you probably see a couple other ships uh, docked at Merchants Marina. Maybe you saw one in motion in the middle of the lagoon on your way over. But if your goal is to flag down as many as you can, or like send messengers off to go find them, I was uh, basically just looking to spot them to see how many were here. Okay. So uh, there you go. Because if there was only like, you know, a couple that I recognize, it, just, it I would assume it just meant that they hadn't had time to get here yet. Mm-hmm. But this seems like a pretty good smattering. So yeah, Devoth will send people off to start selling junk and uh, yeah, take the officers over to Lucia Hold. Okay. Whether it's with a, a, a long boat or you get a, like a shuttle boat to bring you over, you guys get to Lucia Hold. When you, when you get there, you uh, pull up to the to the pier and you see that uh there's another ship already tied up to the pier and uh you don't recognize the ship but you do recognize one of the people uh helping unload the ship it is sadak goldtooth he's helping unload the ship and he's working alongside several other very burly looking pirates and a man that looks like he might be the captain uh like jumps down onto the pier from the ship as you guys are approaching sadak notices you guys and he like he like sees you out of the corner of his eye 
and he looks over and then he turns to the other uh, pirates and they just kind of start like murmuring amongst themselves and like stealing glances back over at you guys. Anybody who wants to can make a knowledge local check. I'll take one of my 20s for a 28. Shut up, Leon. (laughs) (laughs) I got a 37. Aw. Devoth and Leon, you recognize this ship as the Sword Tail. You know, that is primarily, it it works primarily out of Port Peril. And the the captain that you see is named Horace Riptooth. Leon, you know that this is a crew, it's not the full crew, but the captain and, like, all of his most trusted officers are were sharks. Oh. I'm going to mention that to Devoth. Like, hey, did you know they're were sharks? What? That's interesting. Yeah. All right. I'm a gossipy bitch. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So yeah, you guys, you guys, you guys pass Sadak and the uh, the were shark pirates, and like as you're passing them, like they're like they're giving you eyes, you're giving them eyes, and then you like you pass each other, and the moment's over, and you get to the end of the the pier where there's like a cobblestone road, and a, a man sitting. Uh, on a carriage uh, pulled by a horse. He sees you coming. He recognizes Devoth. says, ah, Captain Devoth, uh, I don't think we were expecting you. Uh, are you here to see the Hurricane King? I'm calling an emergency council meeting, so yeah, I'm here to see the Hurricane King. I see. Uh, very well. Uh, he opens the door of the carriage to uh, invite you and your officers in, and he, he gives a little, yeah. Uh, to the horse, and you guys are uh, brought up to uh, Fort Hazard to break the news, and we'll see you next week. Uh, Nice. What an episode! See ya! See ya! See ya! That shit was nuts.